Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Matt Van Cleve, and I'm the teaching pastor here at Blue Oaks. Uh, let me just say a quick word of prayer before we get to the message. <clears throat> God, we're so grateful for this season when we get to prepare our hearts and our minds for the coming of Christ. I pray that you would uh, protect us from making Christmas about us and neglecting the birth of Christ. Uh, we don't want this to be a uh, plastic Christmas. Um, God, I thank you for this place where we can gather and just uh, get perspective. Uh, thank you for the people who are uh, new with us uh, for this service, maybe some who are uh, new to church, so this is kind of a strange, new, uncomfortable thing. I pray that in these next few moments, as your word is open, that uh, people who are exploring faith would just get something out of this service. Uh, I pray for those who are uh, weary among us. I pray for those who have had uh, disappointing weeks, uh, that you would just fill our spirits by the teaching of your word. Uh, God, would you speak to us uh, by your spirit? Help us to listen uh, to your voice amidst the noise. Uh, we pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. And everyone said, amen. Well, in my opinion, one of the toughest assignments God has ever asked a human being to carry out was the assignment that he gave John the Baptist in the first century. Uh, Old Testament prophets had been predicting for hundreds of years that someday God was going to interrupt human history, wrap himself in human flesh, and become one of us on this earth. Uh, but as century after century after century came and went, the idea seemed less and less likely because people didn't see anyone coming from heaven to earth. And then John gets a tap on the shoulder by God. God says, I want you to be the one to tell every single person you can get to listen to you that the Messiah is, in fact, coming. And not only is he already on this earth walking around right now, but his ministry as the Messiah is about ready to get kicked into high gear. So, John, you tell people that it's game on right here and right now. Now, I think John knew this was going to be a tough sell. Uh, he could imagine the responses of the people, right? Yeah, right. He's coming soon. In our lifetime, like any time now, he's going to show up. Yeah, right. Where did you get that information? And don't tell us God told you. Like, who's going to believe John? And why should they? But God has asked John personally to spread this news. And so John decides that he's going to bring out the heavy guns first. One of the most famous and respected Old Testament prophets was Isaiah. And so John reads this text from Isaiah. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make the path straight for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. This is uh, Luke 3, verses 4 to 6, quoting from Isaiah 40, 3 through 5. This was a prophecy that was made 700 years earlier. And John is making the point... I am quoting the big gun, Isaiah. 
I'm telling you, this is going to happen within days. Um, some of you probably wonder what this ancient prophecy meant, like all the imagery of the valleys and the mountains. Uh, it's poetic, but really doesn't mean anything. Um, it was actually a road-building metaphor. Uh, in ancient times, when a king announced that he was going to make, it, uh, make a visit to a particular village, he would send word ahead to that village so that they could prepare for his arrival. Uh, people in the village would immediately start repairing the primitive road on which the king would be traveling. Uh, they would want the king to know that they were so honored that he chose their village to come and visit, that they would break their backs for weeks, sometimes months, making the incoming road and the main street uh, very special for him. So when Isaiah made this prophecy, he was making the point that the person coming to visit this earth was a different kind of king. He was a king worthy of a cosmic road repair, um, a king that deserved the filling in of every valley on the planet, smoothing out every mountain peak in the world, making the kind of road no one on this earth would be worthy to travel. This road was to be made metaphorically for a king from another world. And John makes exactly that point as he reviews this prophecy. And then he adds these words. He says, the king that is coming, I am not worthy to untie his sandals. How would we say that in our culture? Maybe I'm not worthy to shine his shoes. Um, that's who's coming. And God is making the point, or John is making the point that he's going to swing into action so people better get ready. And they better prepare on a whole new level than they have prepared for anything that has ever happened in their life because the time has come. And before I move on to the next part of this passage, I just want to ask you, uh, what preparations would you be making now if you learned that the Messiah was going to come and visit your house or your apartment about four weeks from now? Like if word came that he was going to come and stay with you. When you go home from church today, would you straighten up the house? Um, would you do anything different? Would you throw anything out that just wouldn't be fit for the king to see? Would you get some stuff fixed to honor the king? Would you vacuum a little? Would you sweep? Would you wash? Would you paint anything? If God's son were going to come to your apartment or your house or your condo in the next four weeks, this is what the tradition of Advent asks us to think about. But instead of thinking about preparing our house for the coming king, it's about preparing our inner lives for what's about to happen as Christmas comes. It's figuring out what needs straightening out in our inner person. It's figuring out what garbage we finally need to throw out of our minds and our hearts. It's pondering what needs repair work in our inner worlds, what needs some sweeping up, what needs a thorough washing. Some of you have reasons for wanting to spend a little extra time preparing for Christmas this season. Uh, for some of you, this is the first Christmas you're going to celebrate as a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, since you've actually stepped across that line of faith and trusted Jesus Christ as your forgiver uh, and your leader in your life. And so you're preparing for Christmas for the first time actually as a Christ follower. And that's a very special thing. 
It's important that you do that well. It's a habit that you can develop that will serve you for the rest of your life. Uh, For some of you, this is the first Christmas as an engaged couple or as a married couple. And so the question for you is, can you prepare with a partner? How do you get both on the same page in this whole preparation process? Um, Do you do this together? Do you do it separately? For some of you, this is the first time you're preparing for Christmas as parents of a little one or as grandparents. Uh, Can you prepare as a family? Are there some things that you could do together as grandparents and parents and children? What does that look like? For some of you, this is the first Christmas as a divorced person. And you know this is going to look a whole, different, look a whole lot differently um, than any other Christmas for you. I know people who have, been, uh, who have lost a spouse over the course of this last year. I actually had a couple conversations with uh, some people who are preparing for a, a Christmas that they're going to spend alone. And this will be the first Christmas in over 50 years. Um, But my point is, whatever is happening in you that will make this Christmas different, allow whatever that is to motivate you to better prepare yourself this year. I'm going to give you some specifics on that in just a few moments, but let's look look back at Luke 3 first. Uh, After quoting Isaiah 40, uh, he can read the cynical response of the people. Isaiah doesn't impress them very much. Make the road straight, the path smooth, and all that. Yeah, right, whatever. And so John the Baptist does what every good prophet does when he gets a bad reaction. He just turns up the prophetic heat. He's like, all right, well, two can play at this game. Look at Luke 3, uh, 7 to 9. You brood of vipers, like who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the foot of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, I wonder how my pastoral rating would go if I welcomed you any given Sunday service. You know, hey, Merry Christmas, you unrepentant reptiles. Like John is not worried about his reputation. He's obsessed with the hardness of heart that he sees in the people right in front of him. He sees their reaction to his message. He can discern the games that they're playing in their minds. And so he goes after uh, two of the games that they're playing. The first game is the lineage game. The second game is the dress-up game. And the lineage game is, I'm a Jew. Like, I'm a child of Abraham. John discerns that some of the listeners are actually saying, you know, look, I don't care who's coming and what requirements or expectations there are. I'm already a card-carrying member of God's chosen race, Israel. I've got nothing to sweat. I'm good. I'm in. No worries. To which John says, like, in this new reality, that Jewish membership thing is going to count for exactly nothing. Like, these stones will have every bit as much eligibility in the kingdom that is coming as you have. The Messiah plays no favorites. That thought in and of itself, would have stopped the average Jew in his tracks. But John plows ahead and he exposes the second game that I'm calling the dress-up game. Some of the people in the crowd are thinking, all right, well, big deal. The Messiah is showing up. Like, all I really have to do is just put on, like, a better religious show. I'll dress up my act a little bit, as minimally as possible. I'll pretend that I'm preparing. I'll look like I'm preparing. I'll talk like I'm preparing. I'll fool everyone. Like, who's really going to know? 
And John sees this game that's being played, and he says, you're not even fooling me. Like, I can see the hardness in your heart. You think you're going to fool God in the flesh when he sees your little dress-up game? Bad idea. And this is what provokes John to say in Luke 3.8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. His point is, genuinely repentant people demonstrate their contrition with changes in their attitudes and changes in their behavior. In other words, it's more than just talk. It's more than just dressing up on the outside. Their lives should begin to produce a new kind of fruit, a fruit that everyone can see and feel and taste. Anything less is a false repentance and has to be cut out. John says, because God is seeing this right through, he's seeing right through this whole lineage game, and he's seeing right through this whole dress-up game. Don't play these games, John says. And I want to gently remind you, as we're all trying to prepare ourselves for Christmas, that God can see through any game that I'm trying to play if I'm pretending to get my heart right for Christmas. He knows. He actually knows if we're spending more time uh, decorating our houses than we are discerning the condition of our hearts. He knows if we're really more worried about Christmas parties going right or buying the right gifts than actually making sure we're in a right relationship with him. He sees through it all. He knows if we're actually preparing or not. You know, studying this text uh, this week was quite profitable for me on a personal note. Uh, December is typically a really intense month of the year for me. Um, I think any teaching pastor would probably agree with that. Like, when you get to December, it's just like you're on, like, every day of December all the way up to Christmas Eve. And I kind of had a wake-up call this week because of this text, and it was clear that God was whispering to me, Matt, Like, is this just going to be another December where you're fully on for church and you're fully on for all the Christmas Eve services and you're fully on for the parties and the compassion service projects and friends and family and all these gatherings? Is this going to be another Christmas where you hit December 26th and you realize you did it again? You realize you did the Christmas season but you just didn't do it as closely with me as you possibly could. When you realize you did a lot of stuff you had a lot more anxiety than you had joy, um, and you did, did it uh, apart from me. And I was really convicted by that, and so I just made a deal with God. All right, God, not this year. Like, it's just going to be you first this year. Um, it's us together first this Christmas. It's being fully on to God first and trusting that he's going to help us get all the stuff that we need to get done. Uh, I wonder if how many of you have a to-do list on your refrigerator or in your journal or in your notes on your phone, like all kinds of things that you have to get done between now and Christmas. I'm wondering if anyone would decide these days to do what you need to do most, and that is to create space and time to be with God, to think new thoughts about him, to open up your spirit in new ways to him, uh, to figure out new relating patterns to Christ that you can give your life to. At the end of this message, I'm going to give some very practical next steps for those of you who mean business about this, like I do, um, of, being, of this being a God-first type of Christmas, not a God-last 
type of Christmas. All right, so let's look back at the Gospel of Luke. Uh, believe it or not, John, John's words actually start to penetrate the hearts of the people who are listening that day. Um, they start to get convicted by his words. Uh, they cry out in Luke 3.10. Well, then what should we do? The crowd asks. Like, your words are actually making sense. We know this is true. Okay, so what should we do? And John answers with very specific actions in verse 11. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Share your food with those who have none. It's very interesting. How will the Messiah know if you're actually preparing for his arrival? It's by how you care for the poor. Because that's what's going to be one of his highest priorities when he actually begins his ministry, John says. So let the Messiah know that you're getting on the same page with him uh, as his arrival is coming soon. Start syncing up with his program now so that upon his arrival, you're both already on the same page. You're both going in the same direction. Now, I have a word of commendation and a challenge for you on this one. Uh, first, the commendation. You know, God has seen the beautiful fruit, um, and I mean it's beautiful, in the lives of all of you who have served and been involved with our Compassion Ministry partners over the course of this past year. Uh, those of you who are supporting uh, our Compassion Partner organizations. God saw all of that. He noticed everything that you've done, all that you've given, and that your heart is syncing up with what matters most to his heart. You're getting on his page and caring for the poor. Uh, I don't know the number of volunteers that we've had in this past year, but I know all the stories, and I've heard a lot of them. Um, and I know that we as a church have given over $500,000 to our Compassion Partners this year. Um, our budget is a little over $2 million, so that's a significant amount. Um, and that doesn't include all that you give directly to those organizations or all the ways that you uh, support uh, organizations around the world or sponsor kids and things like that. God notices what this church is doing to make a difference in this world. Um, God also probably notices those of you who are still playing the lineage game or the dress-up game about the plight of the poor. You know, it's not enough for you to come to a church and then to kind of brag to your friends about all the fantastic work that this church does when, truth be told, you haven't really gotten in the game yourself. You've never volunteered, you've never stepped up, you haven't served anyone, you haven't given anything. You're just really glad to be a part of a church who is doing a lot of cool stuff. Well, there's a difference. Are you playing dress up? Are you saying, you know, hey, I'm a Christian, and I don't have to be on the same page with God on every little thing, do I? Well, actually, you kind of do. If you're really going to prepare your heart and your mind. Allow me to be as candid as John the Baptist would be. Um, are you playing dress up? Are you really getting synced up with God on these matters? And is there really a change of heart that's coming over you over time? Because that's kind of what it looks like, of course. John says, compassion for the poor and generosity are ways to make sure that your heart is getting synced up with the coming king. But then he talks real rapidly to two more groups of people, uh, tax collectors and soldiers. Uh, they cry out, what should we do? Uh, to the tax collector who always, oh, who's always like overcharging people, always skimming money for themselves, John says in Luke 3.13, don't collect any more 
then you are required to. So no more gouging people. Like no more deceit, no more deliberately deceiving people for personal gain. It all has to stop. Do your job with integrity. It matters. God sees it. The coming Messiah will expect total integrity from his followers. So just get on that page now. And I just want to say this again because we need to be reminded. uh, If you are preparing for the coming of the king, the king is a king of integrity. If you're involved in any deal that's slippery ethically, if you're involved in any kind of financial or other deceit at work, if you're going to really prepare, if you're going to do the business of preparing for Christmas, you have to eliminate deceit from your life. You've got to get out of the deals that compromise your integrity. You have to go into work, sit down with your boss, or sit down with whoever you need to sit down with and say, it's got to end. I just can't be a part of this anymore. Because the king that's coming and the one that you want to get on the same page with is all about integrity. All right, look at Luke 3.14. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. You know, in the first century, soldiers were often bullies who hid behind their uniform. Uh, They intimidated people. They ripped people off. They did whatever they felt like doing. It was obscene. And John said, all that stuff has to stop. The Messiah will be asking two questions the whole time he's on this earth. He'll be asking two questions. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And do you love people? And so you've got to stop intimidating people. You've got to stop extorting from people. Just keep asking yourself every day, wherever you are, am I loving God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and am I loving people radically? Because if I'm loving God and I'm loving people, I'm getting on the same page of the coming Messiah that he's already on, and I'm being synced up with him. I'm ready to go when he comes. All right, I want to read the final words of John in this passage, how he ends this conversation with the people that day. He says these words, which I think are just awesome. He says, one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And John just kind of shakes his head. He might have dropped to his knees. You know, we don't have that information. But he's essentially saying, you have no idea how good the coming Messiah is. Like, you have no idea how he, how, how thoughtful he is, how kind he is, how self-giving he is, how... Uh, self-sacrificing he is. You have no idea how good the coming Messiah is. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. You have no idea how righteous and holy and just and pure he is. Because if you did, man, you would want to get singed up with him. You don't, you, you, you just, you would stop a bunch of stuff because you realize how holy he is. You have no idea how courageous and fearless this Messiah is going to be, or how ferociously committed he is to the poor and to the marginalized. Man, you just wait. And you have no idea how much impact he's going to have on this planet over the next uh, season of time. Like history is going to be divided A.D. and B.C. His followers are going to become his hands and his feet after his ascension. I mean, they're going to build churches and schools and hospitals and universities in his name. I mean, they're going to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, and welcome the strangers in his name. John is saying, you have no idea who is coming. There has never been and there will never be anyone like the man who is coming. 
So get prepared. Start syncing up your life now. Get on the same page now so that you're just right where you need to be at the time of his arrival. And I want to close this message by giving you some practical next steps. Maybe some of you feel this stirring in your heart, kind of like how I did this week, and you're just going, man, I've got to stop playing dress up. Uh, I'm not preparing really. God's nowhere near the top of my to-do list this Christmas. So here are some suggestions that I just want you to consider. And maybe what you need to do is just bow your head right now, just close your eyes, and just allow the Holy Spirit to just talk to you right now. First thing, I would say, get a Christmas devotional of some kind. Just a little Christmas devotional book or start a devotional reading from the Bible app. Uh, There are a number of good ones out there. Just read a short devotional each day, uh, starting today, December 1st, all the way up until Christmas. And if you think about it, new attitudes and new behaviors are driven by new thoughts or new knowledge of God. And so you've got to be reading something fresh, loading your brain with something new and replenishing about God. Uh, I started a plan this week called Names of God, where you look at various different names of God and their meaning uh, leading all the way up to Christmas. Um, I read it this morning as the name Jehovah Jireh. Uh, My God is a provider. And God knows me so intimately and completely that he knows exactly what I need and when I need it. Um, And I just need to surrender each day to him and just trust that he's going to provide in his timing. Uh, Do you need to get something new that will spur your thoughts about God so that each day leading up to Christmas, uh, you're thinking new thoughts about him. A second challenge, uh, fill your car or fill your house or your office, fill every environment that you're in with Christmas worship music. Uh, Every time you go into the house this year or you flip on worship uh, Christmas music so that you're reminded that you need to start syncing up your life with his. Uh, Next idea, think of maybe a random act of kindness or generosity that you could do in the name of Jesus for someone who is marginalized or someone who is forgotten or overlooked in our world and make it completely anonymous. Uh, Think of something you could do for someone who is always overlooked. You could just do that in Jesus' name. That's preparing your heart for his coming. Is there anything in your heart that needs just an old-fashioned cleansing? You just need to sweep something out. You need to take out the garbage. Is there anything physically in your house that wouldn't be right if it were there and the king were actually to come to your house? Would you just make a covenant with you and God right now that when you walk into the house later today, you're just going to identify whatever that garbage is and you're going to take it out? It's gone from the house. Just kind of sweep out the junk so that you can actually prepare and make room for God. Have you sat down privately with God yet and said, all right, God, this year is going to be a God-first Christmas. So would you just speak to me however you want during this Christmas season, and I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to obey. I think if you'll take some of these simple steps and you actually uh, do them as God leads you, it's going to be a very different Christmas for you. I'm just going to let you do some business with God about the challenges I just gave you. Uh, Some of you might want to just sit there for a couple minutes and just spend some time with God in prayer. Um, Do some preparation. Maybe before you leave here today, make some commitments while you're here. If you want 
some suggestions. You can look at the next steps on the next step card. Um, and then I'm going to pray, and the band's going to lead us in one more song. God, we're so thankful for this season where we can prepare our hearts and our minds and our hands and our feet for the coming Messiah to celebrate on Christmas. And God, I pray that uh, you would help us to prepare our minds um, as we think about all the things that we have to do. I pray that we would put you first and just trust that all those things are going to get accomplished. As we put you first, as we focus on you, for some of us, that means uh, getting in your word and reading something daily to remind us of who you are. Or for some of us that just really connect with you through music, I pray that we would uh, just turn on the music that uh, reminds us of why we're celebrating the season. Uh, for some of us, we really do need to get some junk out of our lives. There's some physical things in our homes that we need to get rid of. There's things that uh, cause our minds to be uh, turned in a 180 direction away from you. Help us to get rid of those so that we can make space in our life for you this season. God, I just pray that you would move in a powerful way as we prepare our hearts and our minds and our lives this season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today.